All right. Hello, beautiful people. We are live. I'm Robert. That's Charlie. And this hey, is hey. The Porch, episode two. <sighs> so we've got a, a jam-packed one for you guys today. Um, the big weekly topics we're going to go through, um, Charlie's going to jam through the Black Friday Cyber Monday preparation. <clears throat> Excuse me. What to expect, what to do, do's and don'ts, that kind of thing. Uh, he'll really color in the lines there. Uh, we'll chat about the new conversions API. Well, kind of kind of new, new to most, but um, why you need to hook it up, what it's important, and what it does, essentially. Uh, lastly, we'll round out our favorite bidding strategies, cost cap, bid cap, value, lowest cost, all the good stuff. Then we'll do our user-submitted question, uh, tool of the week, and then Charlie's famous guru bust. Sound good? <laughs> I'm ready, man. Let's do it. All right, cool. So... We all have the anxiety as media buyers of the, the Black Friday, Cyber Monday looming. Um, how can you kind of prep your account, prep your retargeting pools? What do you do to kind of, uh, you know, insulate yourself from just that volatility, but also get your nets out to capture a lot of that value while the wallets are open? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think... You know, as somebody that has done a lot of Black Friday stuff, what I've seen like when you really, really strong is when you can own your data that you can target to. So, and you see people like you just mentioning, like setting up your retargeting pools and getting these pieces together. Um, and I think that a lot of folks make the, the most common practice that I see is people do a lot of link click campaigns to try to get as much traffic as they can. So the retargeting. Is, is as strong as possible. And then they, uh, the best ones will then make like a Black Friday only to sort of like landing page or offers um, if they've got multiple pieces. Um, and in general, like I think that that's all in all that works well. What yeah. I've done um, to try to take advantage of the situation is I will work on getting as much making sure that I have the highest engaging content that I can. So okay. I'll work really heavily, not just on performance metrics, but also engagement metrics. What's going to have the highest levels of engagement? What's going to take the most actions, right? Because we're, we're knowing that when we're facing into an auction, it's your budget times your estimated action rate. So how likely is somebody to respond positively to your creative? So with that in mind, while you're leaning up to what creatives you're going to run for Black Friday, because you, you can always repurpose the creative. It's a video, it's a picture, whatever. Um, making sure that you've got the right creative concepting that you know what people are most likely to respond positively to so that you can keep your bids low in the auction. In addition to that, really getting good at your broad and lookalike game and having very consolidated campaigns because when you start to go, when you start to go after five or 10 different interest groups and very large pieces of data that aren't necessarily built around performance metrics, you're going to get into, like, for instance, if you're using interest groups, when it comes to Black Friday, everyone's going to use that interest group. And then your CPM that might be right now at a 30 might be a 50, right? So you're going to be right. paying an exorbitant amount of money to compete with other individuals that have money to burn. Um, another piece of that is I've really tried to focus on getting my lookalikes in a stacker type audience, several sets of lookalikes together so that I can build off of good performance metrics. Some people will say, well, my lookalike of video viewers is working really well for me. And it's because the people that tend to watch a ton of your video are the people that are most likely to, to buy your product. And right. those are the people that are ultimately already in your purchaser lookalike audience. And the overlap between them is probably very high. So I try to make those lookalike audiences as built around as many different business objectives as that are really important to me. So those might be high AOV bots long LT, high LTV customers. So people right. that are likely to spend, you know, over a hundred bucks or people that are likely to buy two or three times as well as people that buy for the cheapest. So I'm accomplishing different business objectives and the way that Facebook works when you're stacking lookalikes on top of each other. And, and I can confirm this because of my trips to Menlo Park. The way that it works is that they combine them sort of like a Venn diagram. So okay. Facebook will focus on the overlaps of those audiences. So if you've got four or five or three or four or five different lookalike audiences, then Facebook will first say, well, where do they, all the circles overlap? That's a tier one audience. And then where do only two of them overlap and not the third one? That's a tier two. And then where is somebody over on their own? That's sort of a tier three. And then you can use that expand button to even go beyond that. 
But in, when it comes to Black Friday, the thing is owning that data set. So it, it, the cost of inventory will not go up nearly as much on a lookalike audience and not nearly as much on broad as it will anywhere else. Right. The other thing to keep in mind that you want to be focusing in on during Black Friday uh, and any sale time where there's really high inventory, what I like to call broad retargeting. So it's not just your add to cart from the last week, but it's people that have been into your site or people. My, one of my favorite things is an engager audience. And I use these all over the place. But somebody that has liked or commented or shared or engaged with your Facebook page or Instagram like handle over the last year, and you can prospect into these audiences. These are warm folks that have already understood who you are. And what I try to do is understand that on Black Friday, I think the biggest mistake people make is they sell things for the lower price. Right. People are really interested in low price, but a race to the bottom is one where you're going to lose money. Spending more and more money to reach somebody to sell them something for cheaper and cheaper is a bad business model. What I would recommend is understand how you can get a higher AOV out of somebody. This is what I like to call, and I've always branded this as the rebut sell. What is my rebuttal upsell to somebody? They've seen my branding for the last week, the last month, the last year. They understand what my product is. Say I'm selling this hat that says be fucking nice, right? So I'm selling this hat. Now, if I'm going to sell this hat, that's great. But if you're not buying this hat because you're waiting for Black Friday, the hat's not going to drop. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you buy two, get one free, or I'm going to give you free shipping on a high order. I'm going to try to say, yes, you're going to save 50%, a BOGO, right? So the idea is you get more value. It's an old infomercial technique. And I learned this from somebody that used to spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year at Guthy Ranker. And, uh, and she was like VP of television advertising. And it's very much the, but wait, there's more. I know you want this thing, but you've already said you're not going to buy that thing, right? And if I mark it down lower and lower, I'm, I'm only going to maybe make that sale, but I'm going to shoot my profit margin. I'm going to kill it just yeah. to get you as a customer. So instead, if I can get you to buy more and more product from me by spending more and more money, then I understand that my AOV and my ROAS are going to improve. And the reason that's really important is because in Black Friday, what people are looking for is something unique. If you're selling the exact same thing they used to sell for 25, now for 20, and you're going to pay an inflated rate to reach somebody making less money, again, you're paying more money to make less money and hopefully try to get a sale. Instead, charge more to offer more value. So instead of charging $25 or something, give them three for 50. Or say if you spend 75 bucks, they'll give you free shipping. Buy it to get one free and free shipping. Those are the best offers you can do. So inflate your value and own the data that you're getting and then have very, very large retargeting pools that I call broad retargeting. And in that space, you're going to be really thing that I would focus in on is having UTMs attached to all of your Black Friday messaging because Black Friday it start the day or two before, you know, a week or two before Black Friday because your sales starting like, you know, the day after Halloween, maybe. And again, it's always going to be extended Cyber Monday, and then you're going to extend it for the week after that. But attach UTMs to all of them. So when people go to your site, you can tell that that's a Black Friday person versus somebody else. And then you have retargeting pools that include add to cart where URL contains UTM equals Black Friday. And then you can have these upsold, these customer journeys built solely around Black Friday traffic. So you can have your add to cart one day, your add to cart seven day, all the things that normally work, but they're not firing. You can pre-build them, but they're not actually going to fire and they're not actually going to populate with anybody that didn't click on your Black Friday or go to those landing pages. And that way you can conduct business as usual. You don't need to turn off all of your normal BA, you know, BAU campaigns, business as usual campaigns of Black Friday happens. Yep. It's just investing where you're going to see more money. And as these retargeting pools populate because your Black Friday page goes live and everybody's hitting your ads, then because when it starts to outperform your other retargeting pool, your other retargeting campaign, you just lower your investment here. Yep. It doesn't mean you have to turn off business as usual. One of the biggest mistakes I think people make is they think that Black Friday means that people are going to buy Black Friday products. Yep. It just means they've been saving up their money. So much of people's carts, actually more than 60% of the money that people spend on Black Friday is not on a Black Friday sale item. It's just because they're ready to buy. Right. Yeah. You offer them the most amount of money they can give you. And understand that it's not going to be the Black Friday special. Yes, you're going to have that person. Yes, that person is probably somebody you're going to lose money on. That is the discounted hot dogs next to the jacked up rice buns and ketchup. You know what I'm saying? It's in the... In 
I, and the grocery store business is called the lost leader. That's right. what your Black Friday products are. Yep. And so you put your lost leader next to your bundle, and then you sell the shit out of the higher cost items. And you're willing to accept that low cost sales to just fund the media dollars to sell the higher ticket items so that you can funnel all of your money to those higher AOV so you get much more ROAS. I know that was a much bigger in-depth thing than maybe we were getting to, but wanted to get that because that's such a massive oversight that I see most people make. Yeah. Is they just want to say, I'm going to sell my thing for lower price and hope that I can stay in business. And that's a fundamentally terrible business model to pay more money to sell something for cheaper to somebody who's never going to buy from you again. Yeah. And the way I look at it, too, in terms of uh, just a kind of OG marketer, it's just a really shitty story. Like you can yeah. come up with a way better narrative around um, Black Friday than just taking X percent off or something like that. Like there's there's just other ways to do it. And then the Black Friday gives you the financial cover. So I think a lot of times it can be uh, not saying that people are lazy, but it comes across like, man, this is such a good opportunity that you can really take advantage of with a lot of leeway, especially from clients where um, usually they're a lot more amenable to uh, stuff around Black Friday than other times. But yeah, man, that's a sensational answer. I love it. All right. Good. <laughs> the one other thing that I would add to is um, just make sure I would uh, set up your campaigns and launch them um, to get them through the review process and get them scheduled out. Because if you launch them maybe a day before or something like that, you never know with sketchy Facebook's yeah. approval process and you could lose half the day and you're kind of there. There's no way you're going to get your budget back um, or, or you're just going to have to blow it, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, so definitely absolutely. make sure you have that stuff scheduled out uh, a few days in advance to make sure everything gets approved. Or if it does get rejected, you can make some. I had some. Have you had retroactive rejections? It's, it's yeah. The well, most, like, it, 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 it rejects it on like day three. Yeah, after there's ton, like $1, and it yeah. starts killing it, and then it's like, oh great, now the whole thing. Anywho, so yeah, too long didn't read. Well, have Do, multiple creatives. Get them approved ahead of time. And use those UTMs everywhere. So if you're going to leak your Black Friday sale on your email, and then it goes to a specific page, understand that that's what's going to actually start doing the retargeting pool. Your Black Friday, honestly, you don't need to prospect in Black Friday if you've done your job well. It's 100% with you. I love it. Cool, man. All right. Well, may the force be with you guys on all the Black Friday, Cyber Monday stuff. And uh, let's jump into the second topic, which will kind of touch on the uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, so all the hot rage now is um, the conversions API for Facebook. And it, it's kind of been around for a while. It's a server side and they kind of rebranded it. Um, but uh, do you want to Kind of give us an overview of what it is, Charlie. You want me to jump into it? Or? Yeah, so basically what it is, is it, and Facebook's now calling it Cappy. Cap so you're going to hear that around a lot, C-A-P-I. And um, effectively what it is, is it's allowing your e-commerce store to directly deliver information via server to Facebook. It's not the Facebook pixel having a binary information of, did this user land on this page? Did they buy? It's not a yes or no equation anymore. It's, this user saw these ads on Facebook and Facebook can track that all the way down to all the actions that they've taken. It's a much higher quality thing, a uh, 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 set of data. It's extremely easy to get set up. Yep. And the most important thing is that ultimately the pixel will be completely deprecated um, for privacy concerns. And it's going to be something that you're going to have to do. Yep. So you might as well do it now. And, um, that's how it works. Basically, the computers talk to each other instead of trying to have cookies fire and having to worry about all these other people, ad blockers, making you lose 20, 30, 40 percent of all their sales data. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, essentially, the too long didn't read is the pixel lives in the browser and um, the browser can have constraints upon it, whereas there's no constraints on your website. And so the website can send whatever data it wants to Facebook. And that's essentially the telephone can on each side and the conversions API is the string across. Um, the other thing that you guys don't have to worry about is there's a fancy term called deduplication. And it just basically means that they won't double count your metrics. And so once you actually have um, the conversions API uh, connected, when you go into your events manager, you'll be able to see all your events and um, the events that the server is catching. 
Um, basically, the difference between your pixel events and the events the server are, the server is catching is the events that, that you wouldn't have gotten. So uh, you can yeah. check that out, and then it'll show you if you're catching all the events, the server will send them back as well, and then they'll just deduplicate them. So it's like, oh, we got these events. Oh, but the pixel already claimed them, so we don't need to uh, do that. But yeah, uh, that's actually going to be into our tip and tool. Um, it's incredible how much, if you want the algorithm to work for you, you have to have signal integrity. So make sure um, you're, you're checking to make all those things are working. Another thing I see that people forget all the time is if you're running catalogs, you have to make sure that your view contents are matching with your product IDs. If yeah. not, you're just going to be losing those people. So you, you really have to tighten up that signal integrity. But um, yeah, so Cappy. It's kind of like Clippy, huh? Yeah, like yeah, but like hopefully it. it'll, it'll be treated a lot better. The other side of yeah. this, if you you know you've done it right, if in the first 24 to 48, maybe 72 hours after you do it, a lot of your ad sets start warning you that you're seeing multiple pixel events for everything that's going on. That is something I've seen on every account that I've attached it to, and it goes away after a few days, and I've freaked out, and I've gotten on like video chats with Facebook reps to like, make sure that we're good. And they're just saying, no, like that just means that they're seeing them both. And then the system is trained to just trust one and the other one's incremental. But that means that it is seeing two and it and the deduping is getting taken care of. So that error actually means that it's working, which is just weird. The UI isn't the people that design the UI are in a different building than the people that design the tool and they just haven't figured it all out yet. Yep. That's definitely how it works. Um, cool, man. We'll definitely get that hooked up, people. We'll actually give you a couple easy ways how to. But first, we got to round out the weekly topics with our favorite bidding strategies. So, uh, Charlie, take us through kind of just like the, the bidding strategies in terms of like cost cap, bid cap, value, lowest cost. Uh, when do you use them? Why do you like them? Why do you not like them? Yeah. Um, so for manual bidding, cost cap and bid cap, uh what they are is basically cost cap is going to try to big cap is uh, big cap is built around trying to adjust what your overall bid is in the auction. Now, Facebook is Facebook in most machines. If you bid $50 and the next bid behind you is 35, when you win, you only pay 35. It's called second cost bidding. So bid yep. cap is basically trying to adjust what you're willing to spend in the auction to win that conversion. Or to win that impression, um, which can be a very high level thing, uh, but that's will that's where bid cap is basically built around. When you understand what that inventory is worth to you, cost cap has a bit more. It's played more around what is my average cost going to be over time. Knowing I'm not concerned about what my bid is in the auction. I want my end result to cost a certain thing. And this can be really important, especially if you have variable CPMs in an audience. Like one day your audience is costing you $22, another day it's 15 and another day it's 30. On bid cap, when it's 30, you're basically never going to spend anything. On cost right. cap, it knows, yes, I'm going to be paying more for that, but I can get impressions that have a higher conversion rate. So the math at the end of the day is still good for me. So I'm going to try to bid for those. And those are two different ways of modeling things. And uh, when it comes to value versus lowest cost, though, I think that's another one that is really big. And I've been doing a lot of testing on that lately. And so basically, lowest cost is trying to get the customer that's going to convert to the lowest cost. Value is going to be the customer that has the highest average order value. Now, what this really means is if you're selling only one product, say you're just selling a thing for 20 bucks, then you do the lowest cost. If you have the option of what people can add three, four, five, six, ten things to their cart, then if the average cart size could be anywhere from $20 to $100, then you can bid on a value and it'll bring in the people that are likely to spend the most amount of money. Now, what I do is for value and lowest cost is a lot of times I'll run them together in tandem because I know that I'm going to get the low, I'm going to get the really cheap people and I'm going to get the really high people. And then working between them, I'm going to understand what works well for me. Also, um, they behave differently in prospecting versus retargeting, depending on what it is I'm trying to do. Like when we were talking about the Black Friday piece where you're trying to upsell that person on a bundle, upsell them on a bundle and bid for value. 
And on your front end, you bid for the lowest cost. So you're getting the people that are likely to come in and spend the least amount of money just to get conversions. And the people that don't buy that, then you're saying, okay, well, you didn't want to buy the cheap thing. Let me try to convert you for the highest cost there. So it's very much in that journey of whatever your business objective is for that campaign, try to have it match. Um, so that's on a very rough level of how they work and when I yep. use them. Um, in general, I prefer to use, if I'm going on a manual bid, I think I'm more of a cost cap guy. I think you're more of a bid cap guy. And I think that's the way <laughs> we work, right? Tomato, tomato. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the, the, the important thing there is it's not a right or wrong answer. It's just the way that you're solving a problem. And well, that's that's the thing for me. It, well, to be fair, too, it's interesting because I find the bifurcation actually plays out in real life because you actually work with a lot of clients that index on volume. Yeah. Where I work with a lot of clients that index um, strictly in terms of ROAS or cost per purchase. And so that's why I have a little more uh, hesitancy in terms of bid cap where it's like, yeah, I don't I don't even though that person's at thirty dollars and one cent. And the bid caps at $30, I'll, I'll lose out on that just because I don't have the budget that you do to not only drive the volume, but also when you have higher budgets, you can not make up for mistakes, but you can buy, once you find pockets of success, you can lean into them where yeah. if you have X amount of budget, it's it's almost like the bigger poker stack at the table, right? Like that person can make larger margins of error and still be better because you, if you hit big bets, <laughs> you're going to get paid out way more. Yeah. Whereas I just don't have as much to bet. So it's kind of interesting how that's actually um, plays out. Cause when I did see cost cap work, the best was when I was driving a lot of volume and kind of higher dollar campaigns where I, I really didn't care as much, but getting the conversions in and making sure that the algorithm is kind of satiated. Yeah. Knowing that one day you're going to lose 20% and the next day you're going to double your money. Like, you know, it, it, that's a situation where cost cap is going to be a lot better. And the other case where you're effectively paid on commission and you know you're going to get $30 a sale and you get to keep the margin, then you do a bid cap so that you never pay more than 25 So you're going to make $5 on a sale no matter what. Perfect. Days you're yep. going to sell a thousand things and you're going to sell five. So it's really about like what your business objective is there. And it's just how you have your business structure. And there's not a right or yep. wrong. It's just what's best fit. Yep. Absolutely. I love that. How do you approach, um, like, do you ever launch campaigns bid capped or uh, yeah, cost capped so, or anything like that? Or do you do that in terms of prospecting? I, or like, does I, that make sense? I generally will only launch, I generally launch campaigns on like an auto bid. Yep. Um, I, I like, I like them to see, one, I use a very simplified account structure the majority of yep. the time. So I don't have like 20 campaigns, but yep. If I am launching a new campaign in an existing effort, I'll generally launch it at a lower budget. I want to see if this thing going to work. And I'll launch it at a lower budget in an auto bid because maybe my goal is 35 and it launches and it's coming in at a 50. Well, I know that this is a test and I'm paying for that test from success elsewhere. And built on that, I want, say it's coming in at a 50 right away, then I can start to use, once it gets out of the learning phase and it's got a large amount of data, then I can try doing uh, bid caps on it. Yep. or cost caps, depending on what my business objectives are, then my issue is if you start with an auto with a manual bid and you don't get success right away, the biggest complaint is you're going to see no delivery ever because it doesn't it doesn't understand what a good impression is and what a bad impression is. And if right. you have to if you're only allowed to win all the time, you're just never going to play. Right? Yep. Because a failure is a loss is an unacceptable result. So you're just never right. going to, you're never going to gamble. Um, versus if you are willing to invest into un letting the thing understand what good impressions are and what bad impressions are, let it lose so that it knows how not to lose again, then it's going to be yep. apt. The, the willingness to take risks in the future is much higher because you've understood what good and bad looks like. Yeah, well put. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my buying philosophy as well. Where I, I'll I'll let my prospecting campaigns for almost exclusively um, lowest cost, and then I'll play around actually with a little hack where I'll do some dynamic creative on um, ROAS campaigns and just kind of let them out there. And then almost all my retargeting is some sort of bid cap where 
Um, I might have different bid caps within the um, campaign. So certain ad sets like retarget uh, ATC 30 days or something is super hot. So that might be say 50 bucks. And then uh, Instagram engagement or video viewers where it still pumps out performance, but I don't want it to siphon too much spend. I'll kind of push that up into like 70 or 80 bucks or what have you. And do you have any kind of rules of thumb in terms of your um, setting those numbers? So like, if is it like a multiple or does that make sense? Yeah. Um, generally speaking, I'll, I'll, if I, if I need to do that, I'll, I'll generally go roughly maybe 10 to 20% over my target to start with. Just give yep. it some headroom. Um, so make the math easy for people. So if your target uh, CPA is a hundred bucks, you would put a bid cap of about one hundred and twenty-ish, something like that. Yeah, knowing that yeah. I want to get it there, um, and it also really depends on what your objective is. If it's getting the most amount of sales for under a hundred dollars possible, then that's what you can do. If the objective right. is to be as efficient as possible that's a place to start but ultimately your bid is going to be much more like an 85 a 60 a 50 over time because you'd much rather get three or four sales at 50 than like you know what i'm saying like it it works out much better so some people are really focused in on volume of sales and some people are focusing on profit margin on the sale that they have so having right. to understand whether it's top line growth or bottom or bottom line growth of your business. Do you want more volume in sales or do you want more revenue, uh, more profit yep. margin off the money that you spent? Um, those are things that you need to understand when you're getting into it to understand what your goals are. For instance, I'm talking yep. to somebody right now and they're like, well, I want to get to a 5X. And I'm like, in spend or, or in ROAS? Like, well, in ROAS, I want to do that. And it's like, okay, that's great. Uh, I can do that, but we'll just spend like very little every day. I'm like, well, no, I want to grow my business. Like, okay, so why don't we maintain like a one and a half? And let me just yep. see if I can get you from a thousand a day to 10,000 a day. And then we'll work on making it more efficient. Because at the end of the Absolutely. day, you're not really five, five X ROAS on a hundred dollars spend is $400 profit. Yeah. Two X ROAS on $3,000 spend is $6,000 profit. It's far worse performance, much more money. So I'll bring that into play when I'm trying to figure those things out. Yeah, that's beautifully put. Uh, Again, total alignment here for me where I'll um, have some sort of, I'll I'll actually use kind of a multiple. I'll be a little more aggressive in my big caps, but again, depending on what um, the goal is. um, And I'll also have some kind of a stricter bid caps uh, in terms of like, some higher performing like DPAs or something that's very algorithmically heavy, like D- dynamic creative as well. And just let them only bet um, at very low levels. But I know when they're going to bet, they're going to bet really well. And so these, again, aren't foundational campaigns. that are going to drive a lot of spend, but you know, they might come in and drive uh, a, actually a decent amount of revenue over a month or something like that. Cause you're just getting all the wins when the wins are good, but you're not in, not letting your crazy uh, store manager send your impressions out for free. You have to have a really strict thing. So it, it, it's a, yeah, t- pretty much you said it way better than me, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally tracking what you're saying. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. That is the weekly topics. Bum, 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 bum. All right, cool. So we have a really interesting user submitted question um, because it's kind of the, the mythical, uh, unicorn in terms of what you really need to know. Um, and that is when do you shut off an ad, Charlie, and why? When do you take it behind the woodshed and do what needs to be done? Uh, I'd say it really depends. And I know that's a terrible answer, but in general, if I will look at what is my target goal for an ad? Let's say my target cost is 20 bucks in a sale, right? Yep. And after the first like $100, I've got two sales. All right, so I'm at a 50. If I were to look at that and I would just say, well, my budget, maybe I'm spending three, $400 a day, right? Yep. Across my entire account. How much more money do I need to spend on that ad to determine whether or not it's good for me? 
So in this case, and I'll, I usually make like little calculators inside of a dashboard, so I don't have to do this math on top of my head. But to see yep. here, if I were to say, all right, I'm willing to give it another hundred dollars. At two hundred bucks, I need ten conversions, right, to be at a twenty dollars CPA. So that means carry the one. Yep. That if in the first hundred dollars I only have two, then in the next hundred dollars I need to get eight. So if I'm at a $50 CPA over the first 100 bucks, I need the next 100 to deliver me like a 12. Yep. What's my confidence that that's going to happen? If my confidence on that is pretty fucking low, then I'll fucking cut it off. Now, maybe my confidence is high because, look, on those days where I spent that money, other things absolutely crushed and my average is really around a 13 for the other things and I'm actually doing better than my goal. And for those reasons, you know, I'm willing to stay in. Um, but in general, I like to take a look at that and I will try to determine – Leading indicators on ads, so cost per click or cost per add to carts. How much is it above or below average? If my average add to carts five bucks and I've spent fifty and I have one, I'll cut bait, right? Because yep, yep. clearly it's just not working. Um, and it really depends. Basically, what are my average costs? And once they get to two, three, four, five times that average cost, how far away am I from my goal? And if I were to then reinvest that same amount of money, how much better do I need to be for it to work? And that's generally my rule of thumb. Um, now, that's why I say it's a little complicated because it's not like, well, at 100 bucks, I'm going to cut. Right, right, right. I'm selling is $5. Maybe it's $1,200. 100 bucks is not enough to, that's just, it, it's not that arbitrary. So for me, that's really what I look at is a multiplier on some of these leading indicators. Now, I don't believe really in the idea that there's a you should worry and monitor cost per click or cost per view content or add to cart. But I think that it's a great proxy to understand Correct. things that are successful are costing me two dollars and 15 cents a click. And my conversion rate of a click to an add to cart is roughly one in 10. I'm just making these numbers yep. up. Yep. So then I understand what my you know, what my ratios are. If I am off by a big, big factor, how much more am I willing to invest? And the honest truth right. is, I'm willing to invest more if I don't have more re if I don't have more assets to test afterwards. Yep. So if I've got twenty ads that I want to test coming behind, and you don't win right away, I, I don't really care. I'm willing to just. I'm just trying well, to, I just want to catch fire and, and I'll just keep going. I need lightning in a bottle. I'm moving on, right? You're just pulling lottery tickets. Now, of things that are mature, I'll take a look at, say I've got four or five ads and then ad set that are, that's delivering me my, you know, let's say my target's a one and a half, just for the purpose of this conversation. Yep. And out of them, I've got something that's giving me a 1.7, another 1.7, a 1.3, a 1.5. And they're all, the conglomerate effect is that I'm getting my goal. Mm -hmm. What I can do is, if I want to optimize, if I want to improve the efficiency of that ad set, one of the things I can do is I can remove the worst performer. or I can say in my creative testing, I have something that's doing better. So if I've got a 25, let's do CPAs to keep it easier. If I've got a $30 CPA, a 25, a 20, a 15, and a 10, and I'm netting at a $20 CPA across this account. Obviously, you're not going to have this kind of spread, but all things equals. Equal spend, and th those things are there. If I have something new and creative that's coming in at a 27, I'll take that and I'll put it into this campaign and I'll eliminate my 30. Then I've made my campaign more efficient because now it's a 27, a 25, a 20, a 15 and a 10. So my net performance will go from a 19 to like an 18 and a half. Now maybe it won't hold, but generally speaking, I'll go into stable situations and remove bad choices when I have a better choice in yep. testing. I'll understand based on my previous investment, how far away am I from goal against how other things are behaving? And so, again, it's not a um, – there's not a there's not something that I can just point to on a map and say that's it. Yep. But that's very easy for me 
that's the way I kind of do this stuff. And and for what it's worth, I'll generally just do a simple Excel uh, in, my, in a Google sheet, a simple little equation that just says, okay, I've got 10 add to carts and I've spent $27. My average is, you know, whatever. Um, and this is also a great way um, to find out in testing when something is really, really good. Um, yeah. If it's completely, ab if it's a complete anomaly, like I had one yeah. thing, I was doing some testing and over the last week it was crushing. And then I found, well, it had this just massive conversion rate on one day. I got 14 add to carts for like a dollar a piece when normally it should be like 12. Like it just hit a pocket and crushed and it ruined yep. all the testing for the next few days. But I understood that that wasn't actually a win overall because I was able to look at these anomalies and just say like, okay, is this thing going to be good for me? And then I can see, well, the next few days. So on that one day, I was, you know, at 20% the cost of everything else. And the days afterwards, I was at 3x the cost of everything else. So I can say like, okay, how many more days of this thing being bad do I need to determine that it's, that it's not going to be good for me? So it can play both ways. But it's really simple yep. math equations, and I'll just try to analyze the data that I have to accomplish that business goal. Yeah, I love that, man. And, and I know you're being a little modest here, but you you have a really cool framework that you use um, that you essentially automate through Facebook rules. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm 100% on board with that. I kind of think of it in the same framework where I'll have essentially uh kind of yesterday three days seven day rolling performance window yeah and i'll look at kind of who's hitting who's not hitting um and one of the things i would also recommend is don't bet on like those one purchases like the lucky results those those like you need to have i don't look at anything under three to four five purchases you need to have some sort of volume behind it the other thing i would say kind of to charlie's point that you touched on was just by definition you can't have a successful ad without good upper funnel metrics <laughs> like it has to go through the upper funnel and so if that thing doesn't crush upper funnel it's never going to crush as a purchase because it's not doing well it can't skip the line like you can't just go to purchase like you have to go through this funnel yeah so that's another thing that you can look at where it's like nobody really likes this ad um another thing you can look at kind of we'll drop a link to our first podcast but if you see a skyrocket in the cpm on that you know something's up, especially if it's in a prospecting ad or a prospecting to Charlie's point where there's not a lot of uh, activity in terms of that inventory where it's fairly stable and you see this thing spike up, you know they want to kick that ad out of the party. Yeah. Like that, There's something off about it and you need to kill it um, and put your money to Charlie's point elsewhere where when you're doing that, you're implicitly scaling because you're putting better money behind better ads. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, uh, and we can get into all the automated rules for other things as too. Maybe we, we, we should do an episode on do a bunch of automated rules and really get into this. Um, but at the end of the day, the number one thing you need on Facebook, I think the biggest fallacy that I see most people do is try to hack Facebook to get the best performance. What I recommend and what I do on all this stuff and what's worked for me and one of the reasons I've been doing this for whatever is – I understand it's machine learning and I'll try to remove bad choices. I want it. If you manually have to make every decision that's going to happen, you are going to have to be awake 24 hours a day, monitoring mm -hmm. things and placing bets on the future in dozens and dozens of places, which is an extremely high workload, high stress thing that honestly doesn't deliver as good as results of, let the machine understand what your things are. It's like, I always think it's like, let, you got to train your dog. Now, when the dog's got to pee, you can either bring it over to someplace and drop it down and do, do that every single time. Or you can give it a treat when it does well and you can punish it when it does bad. And it's going to want to do well. Facebook wants to spend your money. It yes. wants people to stay on the platform. Offer a way for people to stay on the platform with your asset and it'll give you really good inventory costs and you're gonna sell things. So just remove choices that are a liability because at the end of the day, your ad in the feed is a burden upon the user. Nobody wants yep. you there. So you have yep. to make the best use of that opportunity. So just, it's like, we all have the one friend where we give an excuse, it's like, okay, you know what? That's just Josh. You know what I'm saying? You know, in this case, you don't need to make excuses to that person. You just remove them from the situation. Right? And that's it. 
Yeah, that's it. Save the party. Kick. I, I got it. For, it is, it's Nick. It's Nick. And oh my god, I have him blocked right now for the last three weeks. So I just can't take it. But like, you know, we've we've known each other for years, right? So if in your ads, just remove that thing. It's a worker. That's not yep. Good. It's when it says it's, it's yeah. not personal. It's business. It's a business. It's not personal. Yeah, you're just firing that person because they're not good at their job. Their job, correct. And as a Facebook ad, is to sit in the feed, get somebody to be interested, and ultimately do whatever it is that you're trying to spend money on Facebook to get done. If it can't do it, yep. fuck it, move on. Yep. Not yep. That's cool it. Though, so you don't have to feel so bad. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. All right, cool, man. Well, I think that should give you guys a little bit of kind of uh, how to alleviate any of that. But I don't know. It's still fuzzy, but to Charlie's point, test, play around, look for those kind of proxies, heuristics to make sure that the upper funnel metrics are coming through. And then also know, like, to Charlie's point, if you're going to bet on this, how much more are you willing to bet? And what is that actually going to pay off? Because the just the regression to the mean, you're... If something hasn't gone gangbusters, the chances that it hasn't gone gangbusters, the longer that it goes, kind of goes down, right? Like if it's not going to pop in the first thing, to Charlie's point, Facebook wants to spend your money. And if this, that's why in dynamic creative, you very rarely see a decent distribution of spend because they find one thing that's generating clicks and that's who gets the fucking money, man. All these other ads get to starve because Facebook is doing the thing you want it to do. So, and to that point uh, on dynamic yeah. creative, I, on your point, just because we're on this thing, like I'll remove the ads that aren't getting any spend. The, the iterations. Like if I've got, I, I'm just doing it, I was doing it before we got on this call. I had a dynamic creative with eight things in there. Three things 100%. got like hundreds of dollars and uh, eight things or five, the other five things got like less than 12. One thing got like 37 cents. You know what? Writing's on the wall. Fuck all those other things. Move on to the next test. Take the other guys out and just move the best iterations. Because you can scientifically test everything or you can be successful. At the end of the day, I've said at the end of the day like five times. This is a very long day. Um, <laughs> when you're doing that type of stuff, um, Anything that you do inside of any ecosystem, you can invest money in testing for insight, or you can invest money for performance. The best advertisers can make that balance. If you've got five ads that you're testing and you want to know how does each one do, you're going to get a far worse result than which one's the best. Or are any of these good enough for me? I'll yes. bait, if I got a dynamic test and I got one thing that gets 90% of the spend, I'll build it out on its own thing, cut bait, start a new test, and I don't care. The other ones, I, I understand somebody worked hard on it. Great. You got to win. You're going to lose 90% of the time. That's a perfectly decent way to run a business. Uh, honestly, I think that's the, the what will keep you sane, honestly, as a media buyer, too, is that just building fairly robust experimentation and running that. And if I mean, if you constantly lose, it is what it is and you're going to get fired. But I found that the clients are like, yeah, this is kind of this is what went wrong. These are the opportunities to grow. This is what we're going to try this week, because if you're if your client expects you to crush it all the time like this last four to six weeks has been crazy. You had Prime Day, you had election nonsense, you had Facebook blocking shit. I mean, it's just nonsense. So clients are empathetic to a point especially if you have them excited about what you're trying next. And quite frankly, that's really what you should be buying against. Like, what's this narrative? Charlie has a really cool way of breaking it down, but um, that's essentially how I think of it too. Or it's just like, what are, what are these narratives and how are we going to, um, what are resonating with these people and how can we kind of scale into it and scale back out of the inefficiencies? Yeah. And, and as a total side note, if you're buying for somebody else, when you do face these times, one of the best things that you can do is set up Facebook experiments and do lift camp, lift conversion studies. Bring a whole bunch of other data to the table because you're not bringing it in a test. You're losing. So you're saying, look, I understand this thing's going on, but we're this is a conversion lift month over month. I run a conversion lift study from the first to the, end, the last day of the month every single month. And it's because when shit goes bad, I've got another thing to bring up on the call that just like, hey, I know this thing's happening, but we're actually doing much better here. And there's the CPMs are right. You can 
give three or four sound bites as to why when shit is bad, it's not your fault. And here's other three things to get excited. And remember the golden rule of a client call is to get off the phone. See, I, I would push back on that. I would say the golden rule of a client call is to have them excited about what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. Get them excited and then leave. No, yeah. You got to cut as quickly as you can get that that accomplished. Like get your moment and then you're out. You're out. You had your one sound bite. Awesome. George. Uh, George Costanza dropped the joke. And once they laugh, that's the best joke. And then get out of the room. I'll I'll meet you halfway on that. I think that's a much better way of putting it for sure. I'll endorse you. I'll endorse that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Cool. All right. Let's jump into uh, the tipping tool of the week. So this one's actually kind of what we've been talking about, the Cappy. Um, It's actually really easy peasy if you're running Shopify. Uh, Facebook, actually Shopify, excuse me, has an app. Um, You just jump into the Shopify app store. um, You go through the little process. You basically just grab your access token from the Pixel, drop it in there, bish, bash, bosh. About 24 hours, you should start seeing events. And then um, I personally run some WordPress WooCommerce stacks. And so there's a plugin called Pixel Your Site. Super, super awesome. Um, I use it for all my sites, but it also has a really super easy peasy integration of just dropping in your access key into your uh, site and then you're done and you're all hooked up. Uh, Like I said, signal integrity is one of the pillars to a successful Facebook account. If you're not giving Facebook the data it needs, it can't do shit. That's true. Uh, yeah, cool. So that's the tip tool of the week. Super easy peasy. All right, Charlie, we, I need to get some Guru Buster music. Yeah, right? we need we need to get. I, I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe we can. Uh, I want to get the clip from the Ghostbusters theme song where it's like the build up and then he says Buster yes. makes him feel good, which is totally dirty as shit in that thing. If you've actually listened to the Ghostbusters theme song. It's this like 30 second instrumental piece and it all drops out and he's like, busted makes me, it's, it's, it's literally filthy as hell, but it's, I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm and, sold. So we need to get that. Uh, but yeah, so the thing today is one thing that I got tagged in from a guy named Jason Portnoy on Twitter, uh, by the way, uh, if you want to get in on this thing, just please do that, you know, uh, find us on Twitter, tag other people, tag us on it and, and we'll get through it all. Um, and he was talking about seven day. They were talking about optimization windows for Black Friday. And the conversation was going around the lines of, well, look, you don't have a lot of spend, so you do a seven-day conversion window, seven-day click, one-day view. Totally makes sense. In a, in, a, in a normal ecosystem, you want to get 50 conversions a week within the optimization window. If you're driving 100, 100 sales a day, do one-day post-click, and that's all you need. If you're only getting four or five a day and you need Facebook to look back at a whole week to really understand what a valuable good and bad impression are because it needs to know what failure looks like so that you can avoid it. Um, it, You use that seven day window, but in black Friday, the sale is not necessarily even seven days long and you are bidding for impulse purchasing. So in that case, what I saw from them is they're really trying to say, look on black Friday, because your investment is small, really go for the seven day window so that you can get the largest data pool. And my point to that is the people that are buying are in, they're going to buy right now or they're not going to buy ever. And yet Facebook would say best practice is the largest amount of data that you can where that does not actually hold true. And this has been proven time and again by a million different people, but Folks that are just selling best practices and not actually doing critical thinking have a lot of different things to say because they're not actually putting their own dollars and cents behind stuff. And there's, you know, this wonderful way of looking at data when you give a seven day, of course, your ROAS looks better. And that's a conversation. Well, on a one day, we hit a three and on a seven day, we hit a 15. Like, well, it was the same user. You're just giving yourself more and more credit. Um, In this situation, if especially on an impulse buy sale with day right where you need somebody to buy today you need to optimize them to be a today purchaser and i look at this as like uh like a 7-eleven or a convenience store when you're doing the one day click or you're doing a sale i don't care that they've marked down like the Reese's pieces down like to like two dollars for like four cups today if i'm not buying it today i'm not coming back in four days to try to get that sale no one is you don't remember, right? Like it's an impulse purchase. And a lot of times, especially on sales, people are waiting for that sale. So if you're not optimizing for the person that is going to purchase right now, then you're going to miss out. And the honest truth is 
one of the biggest fallacies that I see when people try to defend that longer windows are saying, well, I want to make sure that I'm getting every sale that I can. And my point to it is there's probably 10,000 or 100,000 people that could make that purchase. You want to, and you don't have the money to potentially even get maybe a tenth of those individuals into your ecosystem. Yep. So only focus in on getting the people that are likely to purchase right now because it's not missed opportunity by avoiding, by not reaching the people that you could have reached. It's missed opportunity by letting somebody come into your store and leave because you weren't focusing on the people that were going to purchase right now. And Facebook is very, very good at focusing in on who's a today buyer versus a seven day buyer. I've actually scaled businesses by having my one day campaign and then a seven day campaign. And there's not a lot of overlap. Yep. So when you're doing a quick sale, focus on that because you need to make your money back as soon as possible. It's money out today for money in today. And if you're waiting seven days for somebody to make a sale, what you've done is you've got somebody excited and they purchased somewhere else. And that happens yep. so many times. And even I've even seen it within the same brand where the Facebook advertising was set on a seven day. And what happened is the Google branded search and the Amazon sales and skyrocketed and the same brand running it on a one day the one day crushed and we tra- tracked it through yeah. utms and we were able to see is this big test it was like a fifty thousand dollar you know black friday sale test for each cell it was like a six-figure test facebook funded half of it thank you to them and what we found yeah, was the lift that you see on other platforms is massive when you do a seven day but you lose your ass on facebook and the net effect is yep. when you go out when you let somebody go out into that ecosystem, you're paying, there's competition for that impression multiple times. And if somebody's willing, anybody else in the world is willing to sell it for cheaper than you, you've made a sale for them by spending money on Facebook to turn that person on to the product. And that's really shit business. Don't make sales for your, for your competition. Yeah, uh, man, I think that's so well put. The other thing I would add, I think in terms of the algorithm, I almost break it down or abstract it away into just an ask. And I think the ask of the algorithm on a, especially like a one or two, three, four day sale is getting people to buy on that one day click. So my argument would be that you just get those people in your BAU campaigns. If you are running a seven day click one day view, cause I do run that on pretty much a lot of my campaigns that are lower spend because I just can't satiate the pixel. But when I am running higher volume campaigns, a one-day click person is way more valuable. I'd much rather pay the same amount for a one-day click person than it takes somebody to buy in seven days. And so I, I think it's spot on. Yeah. I mean, to be completely honest, I think that there are there's a, there's a life cycle for a brand. When you're spending really low amounts of money, that seven-day optimization window is great. We're talking about optimization window, not attribution. That seven-day optimization window is great. Because it's just letting anybody that could potentially, possibly, maybe come around to you. and may, like That is it's good for you because you're at least going to get something. Yes. When you get that business to the point where you're getting a lot of volume, optimizing towards a one-day click is going to massively increase your efficiency. And you're going to be able to scale really heavily in your spend and your performance. Then what happens is once you're at a spot where you've actually saturated the market of one day click buyers for your product, then you can reintroduce a seven day to get that incremental lift. And I think that life cycle is something that is nobody really ever talks about. And I don't know that I've ever had a big conversation with it, but it came up in, in this conversation. So I figured I'd mention it. Um, Breaking on the porch, right? You know, uh, <laughs> just having a drink on the porch, sitting around, there you go. shit. Uh, but yeah, so I think that those are all really important pieces to take a look at and understand where you are as a business, and understand. Yep. I always think of my business as a real world building. Seven day clicker is a window shopper. There's somebody in the mall yep. that you hope comes back within the next week and buy. A one-day clicker is somebody at the register right now, and you can sell them one more thing. Understand what is more important to you. And I can almost guarantee you, against what all these gurus say all the time, you have not come close to saturating your audience and lost those sales. And I I used to spend $50,000 a day on people selling things for like 15 bucks. 
I never saturated through that audience. Like, no. you're not going to reach that point. The people that are at that point are like tied. You know what I mean? Like, like people that are selling, spending seven figures a day in advertising, they're going to saturate their audience at a point where they need a, an incremental lift. Yep. It's not you. And a lot of times, too. A lot of that spend is BA anyways. So it's yeah. not even tied to any kind of uh, KPI. Or I mean, the KPIs are like reach, CPM, shit like that versus yeah, actual monetization. It's just to ramp up the cost of inventory for everybody else. Or, yeah, you know, thanks to Amazon. Like, like, yeah, yeah, Amazon does that constantly. So the prime, well, Prime Day crushed me, man. Yeah. My CPMs got killed because they just, I, every ad was a fucking Prime ad. And, and that's what they do. And, and for what it's worth, I know Tide specifically because I brought this product to market in America called, called Persil which is a European laundry detergent. We launched it in America. So I got to see the whole thing of how Tide is launched. And they have a seven-figure daily budget to own every single word related to laundry on any search engine. They're willing to pay $15 to $20 a click if you type in laundry. For you to compete, Like you have to get that person impression one. Or you've made a sale for them. You know what I'm saying? This is also, yeah, a beautiful point, though, to having a tidy lookalikes that are fairly abstract and unique to you, where it's going to be hard for those people to spill into interest inventory and stuff like that, where you can get, um, they're not just these broad-based things that uh, you're, everybody's kind of can make. Yeah, because, for instance, if you're looking at video viewers, uh, people that are interested in your laundry detergent, Right, so there are people that are watching video on laundry detergent from your brand. They're also inside the local like of every other video viewer laundry detergent brand out there. You don't own that person other than you had something that stopped them in their feed for something they're interested that twelve other people are doing, or a hundred or a thousand. So I generally don't ever use lookalikes that aren't based around performance metrics. I need yep. purchases, high value people. So I use value-based lookalikes. I use purchase data. I use information that I know for somebody gave me money, and I want to find more people that give me money. Other than yep, that, absolutely, you're just your 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 video view lookalike is probably better than an interest group, right? But it's not nearly as good as a you know purchaser. And sure. people are like, hey, it works for me. Great. And one of the things I see all the time is like, well, I've got seven lookalike ad sets all going up with different audiences, and this one's doing great. And like, what's the overlap between that one and your purchaser? It's probably like 80%, because most yep. people that view it, or most people that viewed 75% of your video are people that ended up buying anyway. Yep. So yeah, it's crushing harsh. because today it got that impression. And your system's really yep. unstable, and you're trying to figure it all out. Yep. Because you're competing against yourself with a whole bunch of high quality and low quality inventory, and you're just pulling fucking scratch lottery tickets. You're like, well, I'm losing money every day, but this one maybe uh, this one I one dollar ticket and I make twenty bucks. This one, these other nine lost, and then the next day is completely fucking different. And they say Facebook's trying to steal my money. No, you're just setting things up really poorly to compete against yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. So, anyway, the point Boom. is to Jason's question or post. Go off of a one-day click when you're doing a short sale. You're yep. never going to run out of those people. And if you can't sell them, then the seven days aren't worth it anyway. On top of that, a lot of times in those uh, areas, you are kind of technically, quote-unquote, running a sale. So you're selling your products at a discounted rate anyway. So unless you break even, I can make – I get way more money to bet on these people that are going to pay me full price versus these people that are going to pay me a discounted rate. And yeah. like unless they do the re-up sell like you talk about, which very rarely people do, you're just constantly seeing your margins just die, die, die because now you're – the way I think of it is like the first person time you ask somebody out on a date and they say no. Every like subsequent time you ask somebody out, not only does it get like less likely they're going to say yes, it gets really fucking creepy. AKA CPM goes up. Yeah, and so like it's like all right, like I don't want to date you, bro. And then eventually Facebook will just stop delivering it because it's like even though you have money, you're a creepy old guy that we don't want to let another party. Yeah, and then you're going to be the one that says nobody likes me, and it's like yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're a terrible person. And in this case, you're a shit ad with a shit offer from a shit company that is trying to throw your money 
at a problem that just giving a shit about the person you're talking to would have solved. You're not listening. And you're not getting laid. I wonder why those things are so heavily correlated. You know what I'm saying? People know a shit about them. And it's the same thing here. It's, it's the exact same logic. And I try to break all of this down into these simple lessons that we learned in elementary school because it's the exact same fucking thing. Yep. Yep. There's a great Stoic, uh, Marcus Aurelius, and he has a great line that says, oftentimes we don't need to be um, informed. Rather, we need to be reminded. Yeah. And so it's go. not learning new stuff. It's just kind of being reminded about all the old shit that works. Yeah. Hey, man, we're almost coming up onto an hour. So let's land this plane. Uh, you have it. anything to plug for the week? No, man. Let's just keep seeing this stuff. So at CT the Disruptor, at Rob O'Reilly. So find us here at the Porch Online. And Perfect. keep this thing going. Yeah, I love it. Uh, remember, user questions uh, at the porch online. Uh, throw us any of your questions and then tag Charlie in anything you want him to go through on Twitter. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for joining us. And this is episode two, Charlie, in the books. I love it. See ya. All right, man. We'll see you soon. All Bye-bye. Right. Bye.